Hello and welcome back to the Charlie Ashby Show. This week I'm joined by one of the funniest women I know. She's a journalist and a dear friend. It's Kristen Bates. Hey. <laughs> uh, firstly, how are you? Uh, all things considered, I think I'm doing really well. I'm staying as safe as I can, wearing my face mask, only going out when I absolutely need to, and socially distancing. So trying to follow the rules so I don't get people inadvertently sick. How have you been finding the lockdown in general? Like, has it been daunting, interesting? I think it ebbs and flows. I have come from a very privileged position into this. I was looking for full-time work uh, when the pandemic hit. And at the time, I was working part-time at a news station. Um, and I was able to get a full-time job um, right in the middle of the pandemic. So I know there are a lot of people, um, especially you know millions of Americans who um, have not been so lucky, who are unemployed during all of this. Um, and who are dealing with the stresses of, uh, family and, um, you know, trying to keep a roof over their head. So I try to keep that in perspective. Um, but it does get kind of daunting, um, when you're sort of checking your boxes for things that you need to do to be safe and to keep others safe. And then there are other people not following, you know, those guidelines as well. So, and then of course it's, unfortunate you know we do live far away from our families so it's um daunting because we can't really see them a lot and um it's you know i miss my parents i miss my family we can't really travel and see them so i do like that human interaction um i also have found that i am exhausted all the time so whether i'm working or not um i I find myself just utterly exhausted. So I'm sure that's the same for a lot of people in the situation, but kind of ebbs and flows. Yeah. I think we talked about this on Twitter recently. Like it must be some sort of symptom of the lockdown or just stress in general, because we've got so much going on right now. We've got uh, like, even if we don't think about it, like obviously the lockdown in general, lots of people like loads of people around the world have been uh, really injured or, sadly passed away due to this horrible thing we've got people losing their jobs the economy is going crazy we've got the leader of the free world talking bollocks on the internet yes uh we've got people in <laughs> over the here talking bollocks on the internet and doing stupid things so just that in general must be like stressful by itself but also then having to like remember to wear a mask and um, can't go out can't do specific things, have to like work from home. I guess, yeah, maybe we're all just, our bodies are like, do you know what? This is a hibernation year. <laughs> we're just going to be tired. Sleep as much as possible. And you always feel bad for that because if you find yourself taking like naps every day or sleeping in later, you feel bad because you feel like I'm not being as productive as I need to be. And I feel like during this time of quarantine, I really need to be upping my skills, learning new things and, you know, making myself more marketable. Um, so when you find yourself just under this exhaustion all the time, you feel bad about it. And, you know, I will tell everybody except for myself that it's okay if you're tired, like listen to your body, you need the rest. Um, you know, this quarantine, this pandemic has taken a mental toll on a lot of people. And when your mental health is affected, that does make you exhausted physically. 
So, you know, I should take my own advice and just say, hey, it's okay that I'm tired. I need to listen to my body. And if that means, you know, sleeping a little later, taking more frequent naps, things like that, um, then that's what I need to do. So all you listeners out there, if you're tired, don't feel bad. Get your rest. It's important. Um, and check in on your mental health. A thousand percent. I think as well, like, and this is something I think is reflective of just the media in general. And so hopefully I think at least I've seen personally, uh, more people are becoming more aware of it and speaking out against it. And that's the idea of like the media sort of suggesting that, like you said, this is a time of you're at home. So all these months you should have learned how to do, you should learn how to be a cook now. You should all be doing yoga and doing specific exercises. You should to do a backflip. Learning three languages, should. which yeah, you if should. you're an American, it's like hard to do that. We barely learned one language. so it's... <laughs> Yeah, I, I still can only say basic things in French. I mean, hello. I think I can, I think I can only say hello, goodbye, um, okay, <laughs> and I live in a house. I'm Which just trying to think fair. of like a, a question that someone in France would ask you where you have to answer, I live in a house in French. <laughs> How are you? I live in a house. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> that and the sea. No, the, the sea is la mer. So oh. there you go. Um, see, we did learn something in lockdown. Wow. I'm going to put bilingual on my LinkedIn. <laughs> How many languages can you speak? Two. <laughs> English and the sea. The sea. Um, yeah, I just feel like the media sometimes, like at the beginning of the lockdown, it was like, well, you've got opportunity to do this. You can redesign your house, learn how to paint. Da, da, da. And now it's just people in the tracksuit bottom has been like, do you know what? If you did nothing today, good job. Good job. You opened your eyes for a little bit. You acknowledged that you existed and it's a new day and if that's all you did that is a-okay there's nothing wrong with that you had two beers today instead of five great job you had five beers no big deal you're fine what are you gonna do tomorrow yeah exactly there's no sort of there should be no i know we all have our own personal um brains telling us you should be doing more. You're wasting your time. Um, I do. I do have a quarantine challenge for everybody. Um, I want everyone who listens to this podcast. Maybe we can like tweet it out too. Um, I want everyone to try drinking a cold beer while taking a shower, mm. like in the morning or like at night, whatever you're comfortable with. Just I want I want that to be like the next quarantine challenge or like you know how sometimes TikTok challenges trend like. Everyone that wants to drink, if you're not a drinker, that's totally fine. Maybe you can find like a non-alcoholic beer or like a cold seltzer um, and try drinking that while you're taking a shower. Just the, the new quarantine challenge that I'm issuing out. My decree. Is that a hot shower or a cold shower? I would say hot shower because okay. you're like feeling the heat of that on your body and then you're knocking back a cold one and it's, <laughs> it just like feels good. This feels like a music video for a Billy Ray Cyrus song. <laughs> yes. So I I would suggest time of day would definitely be the morning. Try starting your day off like that. Um, especially if you're like working from home and you don't have like a lot of responsibilities that day. Um, and you're looking forward to something later that evening. 
Um, this was suggested to me uh, from a friend of mine um, where he tried it. Um, and it's, it's changed his life, Charlie. It's changed his life. For the better, I hope. For the better, yes, absolutely. Oh, interesting. Uh, I have one question for you then about that particular challenge. Mm-hmm. Pre-breakfast or post-breakfast? Pre-breakfast. Well, I mean, I guess it depends on when you take your shower in the morning. Are you those type of people that like to get ready and then have breakfast? Or are you those type of people that like to have breakfast and then get ready? Because I fall into the sphere of when I wake up, I want to get ready and get all of that done and then have my breakfast. So I guess it depends. So if you like to eat breakfast before you get ready, then yeah, after breakfast is fine. And it can't be a heavy beer. Um, it can't be one of those dark, um, like a Guinness or something like that, or a stout. Um, try something light. So a LaCroix, maybe, perhaps. <laughs> LaCroix, get you like a nice IPA. If you like IPAs, um, you can get like a pill, um, uh, like a blonde beer. Um I, I'm not going to try it with the sour beer. Um, I don't think that's going to go well. But if you have like a Mike's Hard Lemonade kind of like sitting in the back of your fridge that you haven't touched in a while and you're like, I don't know what a good time would be to drink that, now's the time. Well, there we go. The first ever challenge with the Charlie Ashby Show. We'll put that out on Twitter and uh, see if people do it. Drink a beer, a cold beer, like put it in the refrigerator while you're taking a shower. Drink beer and shower. And then the next step of that challenge would be to do that whilst also on a Zoom call. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Hi, Mom! (laughs) But just put it in like a coffee mug so they don't think like you're drinking. If you're, if you want to show that, respect. Absolutely. Do your thing. I'm not, I'm not here to tell you how to live your life. Yeah, no judgment in 2020. I feel like we're all doing our own thing. All right. Uh, so usually what we do is I ask you a few questions um, very specific to you and then we have sort of three questions that I ask everyone. Um, one of them is partic- uh, it's particularly for people who like Star Wars and in this case since you like Star Wars I will ask you that question. Um, so the last three are, are quick five questions you can take as much time as you want though. Okay. But, yeah. Are you ready? I'm ready. Question me up. So number one. Uh, what inspired you growing up? Uh, well, I grew up in a small town. Um, I say small town. It's a small city with a small town mentality. Um, and very southeast corner of the state of New Mexico. Um, so we characterize it as like the armpit of America. Um, <laughs> it's just kind of like a dead end uh, black hole where a lot of people with like goals and dreams and ambitions um they have the intention of leaving and following their dreams but they get sucked back into this town um and they're stuck for the rest of their life uh so that's where I grew up super exciting stuff um in a very much a desert climate so like seeing tumbleweeds was super common um I didn't grow up like close to any like beaches or mountains Um, And I've talked about this a few times, like um, I interact with people who would go to like Disney World all the time or had like season passes to um, Disneyland. And, you know, we were 20 plus hours um, away from both Disney World and Disneyland, like on each side. So I just, there wasn't a lot of inspiration where I lived. So really what... um, 
I looked forward to and what kind of inspired me was um, watching Star Wars and uh, watching interviews of people who worked on like movies, whether they were actors or behind the scenes stuff. So, I mean, really when you see Luke on Tatooine in Star Wars A New Hope, looking out at the twin sunset, just wishing for something more in his life and wishing he was somewhere else. Like I felt that on a personal level because, you know, each time I would watch that, I would be going through a feeling of, man, I wish I were somewhere else right now because this place sucks. Um, <laughs> so that's where I got that from. Um, I played a lot of video games too. So it was anything that took me out of my present environment um, and, you know, transported me somewhere else. That was where I like to hang out a lot. Um, and that's where I drew like a lot of inspiration from. So that could be mainly Star Wars, but it was like any other type of movie that was sort of in the science fiction fantasy setting to where you could basically create your own world or your own universe. So that definitely inspired my imagination um, and ultimately helped with the decision of me finally like leaving that hometown once I graduated high school and basically never looking back. Would you say you're a daydreamer? Uh, yes, I do daydream a lot. And I night dream and I afternoon dream and I <laughs> evening dream and I morning dream. So it's, um, I'm very much a daydreamer. And do you think that that's all those inspirations that you had inspired you in terms of your creativity? I think so. Um, I think it, that opened the door um, when I wanted to seek out more of like, you know, Star Wars um, or like Lord of the Rings or something like that. Um, that was also roughly around the time that YouTube started popping up um, and became a thing. And then that was also during the time when G4 was around, which it seems like G4 is making a comeback, which I'm super excited about. Mm. Um, and there was a show called Attack of the Show, and they would do Comic-Con coverage. Um, they'd go to San Diego Comic-Con, and I'm pretty sure they went to um, a few celebrations. I don't quite remember. Um, but, uh, you know, I would daydream about being somewhere else, um, when I was a kid. And so when I would watch those shows and they would interview, um, you know, uh, people like, you know, Hayden Christensen or people in the Star Wars prequels, because at the time there was, um, marketing for that. And then when I would have like the Star Wars DVDs, there would be those behind the scenes looks, um, at how everything was being made. You know, I would always daydream about, man, it would be cool to be there to be like working with them on that or to be interviewing people. Um, so that really opened the door to um, what I wanted to do. And uh, it really gave me the inspiration that I needed. It, it took me years. You know, when I first went to college, uh, I wanted to be a nurse um, because that was a safe uh, bet for me. Um, the city that I grew up in, it was very much you have to pick something that's safe. Um, because if you want to be like an actor or, um, you know, anything other than 
like a teacher or a nurse, you're basically going to be waiting tables for the rest of your life, which again, there's nothing wrong with that, but that was the stigma that was placed, um, on searching for your dreams basically. So, you know, towards the end of my undergrad career, you know, I constantly found myself daydreaming about the same stuff. And then that's when Disney had bought Lucasfilm and they were doing that resurgence of Star Wars content. And I had sort of my own awakening where I was like, oh yeah, that's what I want to do. I completely forgot about that. So definitely, yeah, I think that daydreaming has really helped me find my way in this world and what I want to do. It's funny you say that. I had a similar sort of thing happening at the same time. I remember, I think I was in sick form. So I would have been 18, maybe 17, 18. And I had no idea what I wanted to do. All I know is that I liked media and I picked media as a, as a sort of like a thing to do, a subject to learn. And that was like 2014. I'm oh, sorry. No, uh, 2012. Uh, and that's when the news broke out about the whole Lucasfilm thing. And I was like doing a piece on it for like one of my English essays and stuff. I was like, this is kind of like what I love. This is what I love. It was a news article about um, them buying Lucasfilm and the pros and the cons of it. And I distinctly remember that because the picture they used was um, George Lucas with uh, Mickey Mouse dressed as a Jedi. Oh, yeah. And he looks so sad. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, why did I do this? Why did I sell my livelihood? I feel like we can't be the only people who sort of had this like renaissance or this resurgence of, you know, oh yeah, this is what I wanted to do. Um, When all of this started happening, like, I feel like there has to be others out there who are like, you know, oh, this is attainable. This is something that I can do. Um, And, you know, how do I make this transition into this field? Yeah, definitely. Especially because I think, like I know you're a few years, we're, we're like similar sort of ages. There's a few years difference, but we both grew up in the prequel age, mm-hmm. and we lived through that really creative experience. But then we were told there'd be no more Star Wars. So when right. we were told there was going to be more Star Wars, I guess it kind of just kindled in your brain. There's no like <laughs> we can do anything. <laughs> like there's no <laughs> there's no reason to be like say no to anything. Like anything's possible. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah, maybe that kickstarted a little bit. I do have a thing that I've mentioned on the show a few times, which is I have a theory that people who are creative, who are my favorite people, I feel like if you're a journalist, you're a comedian, you're an artist, you know, and a podcaster, like you are a creative person. And there's something that I feel like personally links all those things, and I could be wrong. Um, so, but I will test it with you again. Okay. When you had a homework assignment, did you do it like first thing in the middle or did you leave it last minute? I leave it last minute. Okay. So my theory still still stands. <laughs> I would, there would be times it got so bad that, especially in high school, I would wait till the morning it was due and work <laughs> yes. on it like a few periods before that class. Because I had other things to do with my time, and the homework was um, bullshit, um, in my humble opinion. But yeah, I would absolutely wait to the last minute. 
I'm so glad that my furry keeps sticking. <laughs> it's, it's, I don't know what it is. I think it's just like, I feel like creatives are like given the pattern. And like, you have to fill the, you have to fill this mold and do that. And then we're like, no. <laughs> just like, no, nah, I can't it. do it. I also, um, you know, when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do, when I changed, I changed my degree like three times. Um, and there, I failed a semester of college. Uh, like I was put on academic probation and I had a probation officer. <gasps> um, yeah. And I had to check in with weekly and she would just scour like all of my like homework assignments basically. Um, and so I remember because at that time I had transitioned um, from wanting to be a nurse to just getting a degree in biology, because at that point I had taken two years worth of science classes um, and like anatomy of classes and, you know, anything dealing with like the human body. And I said, well, okay, if I can pass these with a C, then I can just transfer over to get a biology de- uh, degree and just get my degree and yeet out of here. <laughs> um, and then obviously that didn't work out because I was taking chemistry and physics and I had to do like the lab with that too. And I failed that semester. I just stopped going to class. Um, because I had no idea what I was doing and it was too late to withdraw. And, uh, I was just like, well, here we are. Um, I'll just see what I can do. I'm sure I can get out of this sticky situation. I've always gotten out of these types of situations in the past, but I remember, uh, I had not gone to my chemistry class and my chemistry lab, like at all. It had been weeks um probably a few months too um just because it was one of those classes where there was over 200 people there um and so I remember showing up to the final and I was only there for like five minutes because I had no idea how to answer the questions and I just filled in that little scantron sheet and I was out in like five to ten minutes like I'm done with this Um, wow yeah and I didn't realize I failed that semester until about a few weeks before class. And that was when I had already changed my major again. I was like, I can't do this. I need to be in a different major. And so that's when I transitioned to my final major. And then when I was getting ready to sign up for classes, that's when I got that email like, oh, congratulations, you failed your semester of college and you're on academic probation and you have to report to a probation officer if you want to keep on attending this university. So, yeah. That's crazy. I feel I like know. I had a similar situation. And I don't know what it is. Because I, I feel like when you watch, um, again, talking about the media and the media's presence and stuff, when you watch films and TV, the geeky kids, in quotation marks, are always the ones who apparently just like love to do homework and stuff. But I don't think that's the case whatsoever. Yeah. I think we're the ones who are more likely like, I can't be bothered to do this. Like I, I remember at university, I hated coursework. Like I just couldn't do it. I was like, oh, I can't do it. I'm too yeah. anxious. I just don't want to do this. It's like, I'm okay with exams. Exams are fine. If I fail, I fail. If I pass, great. But it was the it was like the long coursework stuff. It's like, I didn't mind waiting, or I didn't mind writing papers, but I also waited until the last Mm. minute to write them and they're always like academic papers with like 20 plus sources and I would wait super last minute to even begin to write it um so very much a heavy procrastinator on that front did you do the same sort of thing I did where it was like 
shit, you need 20 sources. I've got four, and they're all from the first five pages. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Uh... Very much so. Um, And, you know, I started to realize, like, with these sources and with how these papers were structured, um, unless things have changed, but um, I had a really good English professor. She sent me down and she was like, look, you don't need to take paragraphs from these sources. Like, you can get a source. And if there's one sentence or one word or one statistic that you can use from it, congratulations, you have another academic source. So, anything you use can be counted towards that from like a, a peer reviewed article. Um, so that was a game changer for me. Cause then I would start putting sources in there that I hadn't even looked at, like just to fill that 20 sources thing. Um, and somehow I got away with it and I have an undergrad degree with a major that doesn't even exist anymore at that university. So, Oh wow. Cool stuff. Rare. Like a rare Pokemon. That's right. <laughs> a shiny Trained degree. <laughs> shiny degree. <laughs> I, I so yeah, with my degree, it was funny. I I was surprised that I even passed. To be honest, I was actually like I was really chuffed with my degree because I was like, two one is really great, and I was like, oh, god damn, like I don't, I don't even know how I did this. <laughs> Particularly when my dissertation, I <laughs> I submitted five minutes before it was due. Amazing. Um, and it's it's so terrible. I read it back like a few months afterwards. I was like, I did not put any effort into this. This is so so terrible. Yeah, I didn't have that much or that high of a GPA either when I graduated my undergrad. I think it was like a two point five or like a two point seven. And prior to that, when I was in high school, I was an all A four point GPA student. Like I was in the top ten percent of my graduating class. Um, but. I think there was just sort of this academic burnout that came with it afterwards because I transitioned immediately from high school to college. And, you know, I had gone through like changing my degree three times and um, just walking through that moment in your life where like, I don't know what I want to do. And so, yeah, I did not have the highest GPA, but I still got into grad school. So, I mean, that tells you everything right there. Exactly. We're survivors. We make our way through it. That's right. Uh, speaking of which, when did you first realize that you wanted to be a journalist? Uh, probably my last semester of my undergrad career, um, which I probably could have changed my major again, but I would have had to start all over and be in my undergrad for like another two years. Um, and I thought, no, I can try and do this without a journalism degree. Uh, which I was wrong. Other people have been successful. I was not. But that was when I realized my last semester, uh, I think it was 2016, um, that I graduated. So I was thinking um, pretty much that first day of my last semester of classes, I was like, oh, crap. I really want to do journalism. Um, You know, and that has evolved um, especially when I got my master's degree, um, where it was multimedia journalism. It, it's, it's always been, you know, entertainment, but there's also this involvement with, you know, I like to do photojournalism and do videography work that pertains to like storytelling um, through like a journalism, like outlet or medium. So, um, but 
my last semester of college. I remember exactly where I was, where I was sitting, where I realized, mm, I don't want to get an English degree. I want to get a journalism degree. And I just had to say, you have one semester left, like grit through this and figure it out later. Yeah, I, because I, I, my degree actually is multimedia journalism. Mm -hmm. So, and I know what you mean how, just if you just say journalism, you just think, oh, they write for like a newspaper. Um, but actually, like you said, there's photojournalism where you can tell a story just with one shot. You've got like working behind the camera in terms of video camera, social media, PR, all that stuff. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. And it is funny, if you do go into the PR realm as a journalist, like if you worked for like a newspaper or broadcast news outlet, and if you transition into like PR, um, something within the journalism community, they sort of make fun of you for that. And they call it like uh, the dark side. You've gone to the dark side. Yeah. Uh, which is really funny. But it always pays more. So you <laughs> see, you know, especially now where, um, you know, I don't know how it is over um, in the UK, but. Um, in America, there's a lot of um, paper newspapers that have waited until the last minute to really um, get a hold of like online and digital journalism. And a lot of these journalism companies relied on advertisements um, to really make the money that they need to like, you know, put food on the table and um, pay their employees and things like that. So now we're sort of in this crisis of journalists aren't getting paid a, um, a significant amount of money and you have um, a lot of news outlets that have had to shutter their doors because with um, online journalism, you don't have a lot of paid advertisements because, um, you know, sometimes when you open up different types of journalism outlets, you'll see pop-ups all over the place and that's their form of advertisements um, that will pay that website to advertise their stuff. Um, and so we were able to get away with that, like with paywalls, but a lot of people don't like paywalls, um, especially like with the New York Times, Washington Post, Boston Globe, whatever, but um, they need those paywalls and they need those subscriptions to keep the doors open and to keep pumping news out. So there's this weird phase in journalism right now where, um, you know, a lot of print journalism is sort of teetering on this edge of, you know, going out of business, not being able to pay their journalist as much, um, and figuring out how do we keep going in the digital age with the World Wide Web. So you have a lot of journalists that, you know, understandably are saying, I can't live on this wage. And they'll have to transition into like PR and marketing because there's a shit ton of money there. So it's, it's definitely an interesting time to study journalism right now. Yeah, I remember one of my teachers being like, yeah, the PR is the dark side, but actually, like, they pay more. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you might want to do that, and it's okay. Um, and <laughs> what you're saying about like the kind of journalism was actually my um, dissertation. <laughs> really? Um, yeah. Cool. Like the decline of like print journalism and how we it's going to survive in the new media realm and all that jazz. And yeah, there's, there's something that's been happening recently that's really disturbed me personally, which I don't know if it's the same in America. I assume it must be because that's just how it works, mm -hmm. which is a lot of local news is being shut down. Yes. Not not particularly. That, there are big, obviously, newspapers being shut down. But the big issue is that um, a lot of smaller 
newspapers in local areas are being shut down. And that means that specific local stories, like maybe like a local election or an issue like uh, over here, we had like the homeless shelter, like literally running out of money. And then that was like, like no help for them. Thankfully, they got it, the money back. All good. But stories like that are really important. And they won't be told anymore because journalists and big corporations actually just don't care about that. They feel like local areas don't really matter. So what they do instead is big corporations. I mean, like the BBC, we had this great local news show called Inside Out, which talked about the local area, like different, the whole sort of region. So like different um, villages and different places like that. Really great, really great stories, really like, you know, generic sort of stuff like farming and whatever. But it's good to see because, you know, it gives you some great stories and people to watch out for or like tackling political issues but what happens instead of the bbc decided to axe that program just last month which means there is no local tv programs and the local newspapers are being shut down like crazy i think our local newspaper actually has like four on staff journalists oh my gosh like i i I don't think i'm speaking out of hand when i think i think that's the case and it's like wow yeah that's what we're going with and what they do which is kind of even more disturbing is that big companies buy those small newspapers mm-hmm. get rid of most of the staff leave you with like a few people and then they'll look through your stories and if there's like a particularly big story for the local area they'll go that's interesting we'll put that in like the mainstream newspaper so if you're in london and you're picking up the metro which is this free newspaper which is just basically adverts because that's how they make their money. Um, like you might go, oh look, there's a story about Northampton here, but they only do that because it's going to get more eyes looking at it, which right. really sucks and it's just dangerous as well. Actually, I think it's a big issue. Because, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's something that's very similar that's happening over on uh, the United States side uh, is that. A lot of people are not paying attention to their local news. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you're of the mindset of, I don't trust the media, um, you know, I think all of media is fake news. You know, I would highly encourage you to invest in your local news because you have local journalists that, you know, live in your area. They eat at the restaurants you eat at. They take their kids to the daycares you take your kids to. They get their haircut, you know, at the places that you get your haircut to. So, you know, I would listen and reach out and trust your local media. Um, you know, if you have an issue with watching, you know, national news, like, you know, CNN, MSNBC, Fox news, whatever, um, really put everything you can into making sure that your local news, um, gets the attention it deserves because your local news may also cover, um, you know, the national stuff too. Um, and it's going to have a local spin to it. You know, if you have people in the Senate and in the White House who are making decisions, oftentimes journalists in your local area will write a story that has a local twist in it, basically asking the question, how does this affect me? How does this affect my family, my town? And so journalists in your local area do a really good job of reporting that. Um, and something similar uh, with your situation, Charlie, is that 
um, there are big companies that are buying out local news. Um, I think there's like five, I want to say like major companies that own a huge amount of like local news stations. And so, um, and in the broadcast news sense, so there's a lot of similar, um, stories and scripts that are sent to these, um, news stations. And so that's hugely problematic because it's taking out that local twist to it. And you have, you know, large, rich companies that don't really care about, you know, on the ground reporting and, um, you know, your area and your day-to-day life. So that's, that's a huge problem. Um, and people aren't really investing in their local newspaper as well. Um, which, you know, as a journalist, I'm going to say that's a huge problem that needs to be fixed immediately, but, um, you know, people see things differently. So it's, I think there's a lot of similarities going on with that. Yeah, there's a lot of like context as well. Like it's complicated. Obviously, a lot of people don't have money just in general. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know, like you said, the paywall is an interesting thing that I think some newspapers think was going to be the future, and obviously yeah. <laughs> turned out to be not the case. Yeah, especially like with corporations like Twitter, which is a dangerous thing as well. Obviously, because people can lie, <laughs> people can. Mm-hmm. make up stuff and and a lot of like these um sources or like blogs or like you know quote unquote fake news a lot of them don't have paywalls so they're easily accessible you can access false information far easier than you can access um factual information because the people that are going to be reporting on it they're going to be paid to do it and they need that paywall at least for now to su- supplement their income so, I mean, it's far easier, especially on Facebook, to access, um, you know, false news. Yeah, 100%. I think people like The Guardian are doing it right, where they're, like, asking you to donate, like, one pound. I mm-hmm. think it's, like, one pound a year or a month or something along those lines. You know, like, I'm sure that the more people donate that small amount, the more it builds up and helps people. I mean, like you said, in terms of the radio, and it's the same with websites as well, actually. You'll see quite a lot of websites owned by the same corporation. There's a reason why they send out generic radio segments in the same, like the same radio segment in different areas. It's not because they don't care. It's because it's cheaper to get one yeah. person to do it and then release that rather than getting five people to do it, a particular spin on the local area, which sucks. But it does suck, yeah. I think there's a hope, hopefully, in terms of the way things are changing a bit with media and streaming and all that jazz. People are trying to change it for the better, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. Yeah, and there's a lot of people who, you know, are looking from the outside, don't really understand the dynamics of how this works. You know, I have a lot of people in my family who are very much anti uh, media, anti-journalism, you, unless you work for Fox News and you're like the golden saint of a journalist. <laughs> um, so, I mean, I would always say, you know, if you have these questions or these fears, ask a local journalist. Um, figure out what your local newspaper, your local um, broadcast news is. They're easily accessible. Their email is front and center. Um, I think they even have like a desk number, um, that you can call 
um, and they are easily accessible. Um, you practically pass by them on a street, um, you know, when we used to walk um, without social distancing. Um, and, you know, and ask them those questions, you know, ask your fears. And, you know, I, I guarantee there's going to be some honesty with it and say, this is how it works. This is why we do it. Um, you know, there are aspects of the industry that I hate and that I don't like, but right now this is how it is. You know, this is what we're doing to change it. Or, um, you know, this is how you can get involved type of thing. So I'm a huge proponent of local journalism, local media. Um, and that's always my advice is figure out what your local news station, local uh, newspaper outlet is, and just pay attention to them, invest in them. Um, and if you don't have enough money to do that, which is completely understandable, at least get to know them, like communicate with them. So, Yeah, I definitely want to push the idea of us helping out local journalism, particularly as well, like just a quick point. It's better to have the people funding local journalism than mm -hmm. big corporations or specific, you know, individuals who want to buy a paper for a certain reason, whether it's political or their own gain. Right. Um, and you don't it, want the government um, funding journalism. Absolutely. Because that's, that's not journalism. That's just a mouthpiece. Right. Right. Um, like, no matter what side of the aisle you are on, like, the end game is to mm. not have your um, government entity in charge of journalism because it, it takes everything out. Absolutely. And I, I, I do worry that's going to be the future with certain things. I'm worried about it, but um, something that I really like about journalism are those sort of ragtag people um, that find a way of getting information out. You know, I always compare, just because I'm hugely biased towards the journalism industry, I always compare them towards like a ragtag group of like rebel soldiers or something like that. Um, you know, and if you look at, I'm going to talk about your favorite subject here, like with um, when journalism started during like the American Revolution, um, you had so like, good. <laughs> so good. Um, you had like a lot of loyalists to, um, you know, Britain into King George. Um, and you had sort of like these people on the street corners, like ringing bells. Um, and I knew the name like five minutes ago, but now that I'm talking about it, I, I don't remember, but, and they would talk about things that were going on. Um, and they would talk against, um, sort of like the tyranny situation that was going on. Um, and they would run like those print presses, um, and, you know, it was this, we have to do this in secret because if it finds out that I'm getting this information out there, I'm going to get killed. Um, so I always have this soft spot and this um, positive thinking that, you know, if that ever comes to pass, um, there's going to be a group of people that would fight against it and would sort of become like on the front line in terms of putting out there what's actually going on. And unfortunately it's going to have to be on your own time. You won't get paid for it because you won't be working for like a government controlled news outlet if you're adamantly against them. But I don't know. There's, 
there's this positivity that I have with just the basis of how journalism started that, you know, we're going to go through our ebbs and flows and our problems with it, but it's always going to come out okay on the other side. Yeah, I do. I do. I think I do agree with the idea of, you know, that these people who want to be journalists, they always, well, at least I hope <laughs> deep down that they have a sense of right and wrong. Mm-hmm. Even people, and this isn't political, like people on the right, people on the left, if the government does something wrong, they will stand up against it. We've seen it with Fox News, actually. Yeah, a few people we have. who work there. Yeah. Have, properly gone after the president and it, because that's their job and they have a right to you know call him out on that right one of my favorite things was that i think it was the 18th century in britain there was a law that was passed because they wanted to clamp down on like people write people writing and being subtle about political figures and that but i think it opened up the the gates of parody and satire yeah and they were like that'll be fine and instead, you'd think people people back then would be like, "Oh my god, this this is this, this is disgraceful." Completely opposite. <laughs> they <laughs> immediately started doing horrible caricatures, publishing them of them like King George the Fourth as this and third as these bloated Georgians, you know, doing stupid things. One of my favorite exhibits I actually saw in in the um, British Museum was this wartime Napoleonic. Uh, portraits that the British had done and one of them was like this was basically Satan holding a little baby and the little baby was Napoleon oh that's great that's amazing (laughs) (laughs) and that was published in newspapers it's like so this has always been a thing I feel like people just naturally don't like the upper class echelon of people being like this is what has to happen I think people always make a stand I Uh, I think that I think we've talked a bit about like the worst part of working in journalism and all that, you know, like the fact that it's dying. <laughs> um, but what's the best part about working in journalism? Um, so, I mean, the field that I want to get to and that I feel like I'm really good in is entertainment journalism. But I will always say the best part of any type of journalism that you go into is the storytelling um, and the connections that you make with people. Um, you know, whether that's long form with like print journalism, whether you're just getting a quick minute and a half to two minute news package, um, you know, or whether you're doing like photojournalism, like there's, there's a process behind getting that together. And a lot of that has to deal with like communicating with the people that you want to do a story on. So you really get to know them on an intimate level. Um, especially if you follow them around for a day, um, or if you like spend hours interviewing them, um, there's that camaraderie that you have, and there's this trust that you develop, um, that they develop with you. And it's very important not to break that trust, um, unless they're like super corrupt and you got to get that information out there. Um, you know, but especially on the local end of journalism, if you're reporting on someone who's opened up a bakery in the area and you just hear their life story about how hard they've worked for it. Maybe they, um, immigrated from, you know, thousands of miles away to get to whichever country that, uh, or whichever like County or town or like village you're in. Um, and finding out their story, it connects people. It brings people together. Um, and so you're sort of this storyteller 
that's bringing people within your own community closer together. Um, so there's a lot of magic with that, even on like a national level, like when you do profile pieces um, or, you know, you're reporting on like um, a national event, um, people are counting on you to get the story right. Um, and you're also leading them through this journey with you um, that hopefully brings people closer together. So definitely my favorite aspect of it is the storytelling in any type of journalistic medium. Um, because you have a lot of responsibility on your shoulders to do it right. And when you do it right, um, it's always going to come out good. Um, so that's definitely my favorite part of it. I love that answer, especially like you said, you can have a story and it can be told in a terrible way and people just won't be interested. But mm -hmm. depending on how you tell that story, it could, you know, change anything. I mean, like, like we talked about photojournalism, the idea of how someone can take one snapshot of an event and it can change it could be like etched in history mm -hmm. or it could be like a really shitty picture <laughs> people yeah. are like oh yeah. what are you trying to say yeah there's a lot of you know especially when you go into um like backpack journalism or like photojournalism and videography there's a lot of technical stuff involved in terms of how you get the right shot how you set up for like the perfect interview, um, that type of stuff. So dealing with a lot of the, the technical stuff, that's super interesting to me. Um, and so, you know, I always say, um, like whether you're doing a story on George Lucas or, um, a, a local fisherman that wakes up at four o'clock in the morning to catch fish to feed the village, um, 90% of that work is going to be like doing the right setup, um, having the right equipment, um, doing your research, gathering the questions. And then that 10% is that magical moment where you're getting the story. Um, and like, that's where the magic happens. So in any industry you work in, there's a shit sandwich that you're going to have to eat. So it just depends on what industry that you're willing to eat that shit sandwich in so it's there's a lot of technical aspects um but once you have everything flowing together it's a magical moment and the payoff is always good um and it's a great storytelling experience i love being a storyteller it's so good i mean at the end of the day everything is just the five w's right yeah yeah exactly uh, so if you could have picked any other profession based on like you've, you've done the journalism that you've been for everything before when you changed subjects, but now if you had to choose another profession, what would it be? Hmm. I guess what comes to mind, um, the first thought that comes to like the forefront of my mind is maybe something in like, um, the film or movie industry, mm. um, which is crazy to think about, but like being like a script writer or, um, even directing, um, or being like a videographer there. I think, I think there's a part of me that will always want to be a storyteller. So if, 
you know, journalism doesn't work out or if I've get reincarnated somewhere or something like that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I think something in the film industry would be exciting um, because you get to tell any type of story. Like you can tell a true story or you can tell a completely made up story with like morals and your uh, heroes and villains. Um, so that's something super exciting. I think, I think that's, yeah, something in like film um, in the film industry that would be interesting to me it's funny you say that because i interviewed nikki last week and he told me the reason like he'd done a military degree and oh, then yeah. he's gone to do screenwriting he's a screenwriter but he told me that it wasn't really a big leap for him from his point of view because the thing that he enjoyed the most about the military history and writing essays was telling a story Right. So actually, in a way, that military history degree helped his screenwriting degree. Mm. And I feel like it's interesting how you said that as well. Like, there seems to be this common uh, thing with creatives of telling a story, whether that, like we said before, like whether that's in an art piece, obviously, like if you look at a piece of art, if it's a photograph or a, a painting, it's telling a story, I suppose, as well. Um, so that's yeah, interesting. that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, so we've reached the end of the main questions. We've got three quick five questions. Okay. Feel free to not answer them. Feel free to answer them if you'd like. Uh, so the first two, obviously, are just uh, generic uh, questions I give out all the time. Deep questions, I like to say. And then the last <laughs> one is a specific Star Wars question for people. Um, it's a silly question. <laughs> um, you ready? I'm ready. Quick fire. Okay. What's a memory you cherish the most? Memory I cherish the most. Um, oh man, I there's a lot. Um, something that immediately comes to mind, um, especially that I've been super reflective during this um, like pandemic. Uh, I. I have this weird thing where I long to have like grandparents because only grandparents are dead. Super damper. I know, but a memory that I cherish the most, especially right now, uh, is, um, when I got to help care for my grandfather when he was on like hospice, when he was basically dying. So I got to help care for him like in his last moments. Um, so I would like, uh, you know, put lotion on his feet, put lotion on his hands, um, you know, put chapstick on his lips. Um, and, you know, I would help him. My mom was a nurse. She worked in uh, hospice for a long time. So I would help her out um, with making sure that, you know, he got to do basic everyday functions um, in the comfort of his own home. Like it, he was so... I guess, weak that he couldn't stand up himself. So, you know, there would be funny moments where I would have to help my mom get him, you know, to the bathroom, uh, which is really funny because he, he, like, he would be sleeping and then his eyes would pop up and he'd like, oh no, it's coming. And we're like, okay, all right, everybody, we're doing this live. Um, so I think that's a memory that I cherish that I got to be with him 
sort of in his last moments. Um, and the last night that I saw him alive, he really wanted a cigarette. And we were like, screw it. He's on the way out. Like, let's just give him his last cigarette. Um, and his hand was like super shaky. So we were having to make sure it wasn't going to like fall on him and start a fire or something. So um, that's definitely a memory that I cherish. That's a really lovely memory. Thank you for sharing it. Of course. I feel like um, what I love about these uh, the answers that I get for these questions is that I've been finding that very selfless, those memory questions, which for me, like, just makes me smile and also, like, <laughs> makes me feel like I'm surrounding myself with good people. Aw. Which is always nice. Um, and if anyone has, like, you know, slots open for grandparents adopting grandkids, let me know. Um I'll fill out an application, send in a picture, a video of why you should have me as like your grandkid. Um, anyway. That is a, a great business opportunity. Like I'm don't throw that you. away. You yeah. should make that like a date. It's like Tinder for grandkids. Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Write that down, Charlie. <laughs> what, 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 would it, what would it be called? It? Oh man. Uh, um, Grand Kinder. Grand Kinder. Uh, adopt a grandparent or adopt a grandkid. Um, maybe like grandkids or us. <laughs> grandkids or us. <laughs> I do like the idea that all of the grandkids are like in their face. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because that's like the prime time. Because I would kill to like have a conversation with my deceased grandparents about what their life was like when they were my age, you know, um, or like what their past experiences are, because, you know, as an adult, you know, you have like different types of conversations versus like when you were a kid with a grandparent. And now that you've sort of passed that threshold into adulthood, there's like these deeper type of conversations that you can have that, you know, unfortunately, I'll never get to experience. Um, so there's definitely a hole in my heart for that. Um, so I mean, like I said, you know, if you're taking applications right now, uh, let me know. I definitely feel you with that. Um, my grand, uh, my grandma passed away four years ago now. Oh, yeah. And uh, I went the year before that. I actually saved up and surprised her. I went to Ireland and oh, like, that's nice. I woke, I knocked on the door. My mom, it was like, "Hey, like, there's someone here to see you." And I was like, "What?" And she's like, "Oh my god." Um, and she was like at the beginning of her dementia so she was actually like really fine when I went to see her like she was just in the wheelchair she was like oh this is annoying <laughs> sort of thing <laughs> and it, it really got it got really quickly and it was like that year was like horrible but yeah. the time I was with her was really nice and it was the last time I saw her oh I'm and, so but, glad you got to have that that's awesome but there was this one time she just like started telling me a story about stuff and it was incredible because my nan worked at the Savoy Hotel Mm -hmm. so she went over from Ireland when she was like 15 or something came over to London, worked in the Savoy Hotel which is this massive famous hotel where celebrities stayed oh, and she cool. met all these celebrities and looked after them and got tipped and she was just telling me about she was like yeah, um, out of nowhere she was like, yeah, Rock Hudson's so nice I was like, what? She was like, Rock, <laughs> Rock Hudson? He's a star? I was like, yeah she was like, and reminded like this was like what the fifties, sixties, mm -hmm. and she was like, he was hanging out with his boyfriend, 
and they seemed so happy together. And I'm, she's like, oh, it's a shame that they never got to be together. I was like, oh, wow. You don't really think about that, do you? Like, obviously, it was behind closed doors and stuff, but right, right. They probably saw it, and it was just like, oh, well, that's just normal. Mm-hmm. And that, that was one of those stories. I was like, oh, that's that's the sort of thing. Yeah, I do miss those sort of conversations. So we'll absolutely, yeah, fifty fifty, right? We'll pay for it and yeah. see how much money we can get for that. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, right. Second question: um, What do you ultimately want to be reminded for when you die? I think, I think everybody has a responsibility to leave this world a better place than when they found it. So, you know, if whether I die tomorrow or a hundred years from now, which I can't imagine living to like 126, ugh, just <laughs> take me out back and like put me out of my misery, please. Um, I think I would want my legacy to be. Um, that I helped out as many people as I could. Um, whether that was through like, you know, money or career wise, um, or, um, helping someone out with like yard work or something like that. Um, you know, I think that's the type of legacy that I would like to leave behind. Um, just so people can remind themselves that, you know, they need to do good deeds as well. Um, because we're all stewards of this earth. We're all, um, we all have this belief, uh, this universal belief. Um, well, most of us have this universal belief that we need to take care of each other and we need to take care of this planet. Um, and we need to take care of our neighbors and the strangers around us, um, that form our community. So, you know, ultimately I think what I'd want to leave behind is that I was successful in my mission of, leaving this world a better place than when I found it. Um, even if it's just one old lady who's like, oh yeah, this white person, like this white chick, she helped me across the street one time and it was nice. Like if that's it, I'm absolutely fine with that. This young white woman got me a new <laughs> grandchild. <laughs> <laughs> with grandkids or us. I'm so thankful. <laughs> 499. <laughs> uh. That'd be great. Yeah, that's a great, a great answer again. Um, now I'm just thinking about for, for Granny just advertising Casper mattresses. <laughs> Don't forget to get the next uh, <laughs> shaving kit, Harry shaving kit. Um, <laughs> uh, okay, final question, and you don't have to answer this, but it's just a fun one I always throw in there for Star Wars events. Um, you ready? Ready. Star Wars or sex? <laughs> Mm. there's no wrong answer there really is no wrong answer I guess I would say Star Wars um, because you can have a loving relationship without it being like physically intimate absolutely but you can't really I can't imagine being in a world without Star Wars just because I've already seen it and experienced it I'm sure if you did like a man on the street type situation where uh, you would go to people who aren't really like involved in the Star Wars community and say Star Wars or sex. I'm sure they'd be like sex. Hell yeah. But yeah. I don't know. That's, you know, that's, I guess that's how obsessed I am, I guess. Like I would be willing to forego that physical. I mean, I guess you could like, 
masturbate, I guess, if you wanted to. I don't know if that counts. I don't know if that counts as like sex. So I'm just oh no, it doesn't no. count. You yeah, you okay. don't. I'm not evil. I'm not, I'm not even behind this. I'm not even. I'm not responsible for creating this universe. Oh, but oh, thank you, benevolent Charlie. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> thank you for letting me uh, um, play the hairy banjo. Um, oh, <laughs> yeah, I think I guess I would go with Star Wars. Perfect. I mean, yeah, like you said about asking the average Joe. I don't care about the average Joe. I don't care about them. I only care about the Star Wars fans. <laughs> Just because I feel like there's a, there is an interesting sort of like, it's a stupid question, obviously. Obviously, um, yeah, but it's a it's a fun stupid question. Exactly. <laughs> Nikki was like, because you know, like people can be like abusive and stuff. I was like. Damn it! I just realized this question can be quite horrible. This is getting really deep, and I didn't intend for that. <laughs> like, would you fuck George Rings? <laughs> No, that he he gave a ground. I think he picked Star Wars as well. Oh, okay. Um, which again, yeah, doesn't really matter either way. It's just a fun little thing to throw out there. But I, I I think it's interesting. I think it's interesting to see where people go. Yeah, it is interesting to think about because it's a, it's a stupid like it's one of those um, what ifs, you know? But like, oh, you would do that. It's like, well, yeah, but you just gave me a, two choices. Like, it doesn't <laughs> matter. It doesn't change the universe. Exactly. People are like, would you fight a hamster with uh, wings, or would you fight a lizard with robot arms? It's like, well, definitely would want to punch a hamster with wings. Definitely the hamster, a giant yeah. hamster, absolutely. Because then, if it eats you, you'll be in its cheek for like a few days. And like, what a way to go out, you know? Like, I got eaten by a giant hamster. Like, all right, I can't stay mad at that. Like, if they eat you and you're in its cheek for a few days, there's a chance that there's a few people in there. You can have, like, a, a, few, a chat with them. Yeah. Be a, like you can be a loved one. one. Yeah. Like, whoa, what are you doing in here? That's a crazy surprise. I wasn't expecting you. <laughs> Did you get eaten by the hamster as well? Yeah. Oh, typical. This is the worst Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that's all the questions I've got uh, for this episode. But I have one more kind of question, which is, do you have anything to plug? Uh, support your local journalism. Um, I also work in public access television. So if you have like a local public access television um, company or media company in your area, support them as well. They rely on your cable fees to keep the doors open. Um, and to buy equipment. Uh, so I know a lot of people don't use cable now because everything's streaming. Um, so that's kind of like an interesting conversation, but, uh, definitely support them. Sometimes they have memberships and their memberships are awesome because you can go into their studio, obviously not right now because there's a pandemic, but you can like, they'll teach you how to edit the uh, videos. They'll teach you how to work a camera. Um, and you can always pitch them story ideas of like local fun stuff and more than likely they'll take you up on that. So support local journalism, get involved in your, uh, public access cable television companies that are local to your area. Um, and, uh, always aspire to be a good person. That's what I have to plug. Um, and if you want to follow me on social media, I have a Twitter at Kristen K Bates, and then I have an Instagram at Kristen K Bates. Perfect. What a great way to end the episode. I feel like though you should do. Have you seen that Mr. Rogers clip when he went to the Senate to try oh, and get him to do the PBS yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah. You should do that. You should try and recreate it in like the oh, black and white. 
Oh, that would be cool. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Be like, local journalism. We're gonna come together. <laughs> I don't know. I can't do Mr. Rogers' voice. But... That was so perfect. I thought Mr. Rogers was talking to me right now. Wow. I, I did have got a seance. I got a weepy board out. Um, but yeah, thank you again, Kristen, for coming on. Of course. Thank you for having me. Um, it's really cool that you're doing this. Yeah, thank you. It's one of those things that's like, I have so much fun being so wacky and ridiculous on the Star Wars podcast mm -hmm. that I actually wanted to get back into classic sort of interviewing and being a bit yeah. more serious for once. So this is me relearning the craft. I like it. Well. I think this is very good. And I like the interview questions too. And Thank I like you. your little uh, shower beer challenge that we'll be having. <laughs> we'll have to make a great graphic for that and post yes. that out tomorrow. Yes. Well, thank you for joining us again, and thank you everyone for listening. We'll be back next time. See ya. Bye.